LinkedIn presents. Welcome into another episode of Everything is Logistics, the podcast for the thinkers in freight. I am your host, Blythe Brunleave, and I am happy to welcome in Jennifer Carpus Romaine. She is the Executive Director for the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association, aka the TMSA. So we are going to be talking about the evolution of the TMSA. It's almost a hundred year old organization, and that's a pretty mighty lift to modernize, you know, sort of an organization that's been around for nearly a century. So Jen, welcome into the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, almost a hundred years. Is it a hundred (laughs) years? It will be next year. So when we go into 2024 and we start talking about like the 2024 TMSA Elevate Conference, that's going to be where the big celebration is at. So, Oh my God. Well, that is, uh, so we'd have to do like one of those like price comparison, like what are all the costs of the things in 1924 compared to now? Yeah, a lot. And that is probably I, I mean, I mean, especially if you're talking about like a marketing budget. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did the phrase marketing exist in the 20s? I mean, apparently what, it did. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it started more as like, so a TMSA started as like a railroad marketing conglomerate thing. And I think just like the advertisers and the papers got together to try to talk about rates and like, what are they paying so that the newspapers couldn't overcharge? Like, I think that's kind of the origin TMSA. And then it evolved into what it is today, which has included adding sales to it and to really, I mean, marketing itself is so multifaceted. Um, It's also been really interesting to see um, an influx in HR professionals coming in too, because we're seeing marketing and HR coming together, especially in terms of recruiting and things like that. So a lot of our education and a lot of the things that we're discussing are kind of cross-pollinating through different departments from customer service to HR, and then obviously the big ones in marketing and sales. Oh, wow. I would have never thought that that HR would be involved in that process. But now that I think about it, you know, the last couple web projects that I've worked on, I have worked heavily with the with the HR department mm-hmm. because they're so tired of filtering through applications that don't make a lot of sense for their company. Right. So, you know, developing web solutions to kind of filter through that noise. So that's, yeah, that's a really good point that I wouldn't have even thought of uh, with respect to the TMSA. Now, now for folks who, who may not, you know, be familiar with, with your background, you actually worked at, 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 at I believe it's a couple different transportation companies. Is that accurate? So I worked, so my career has been all over the place. Uh, <laughs> so I started <laughs> in journalism. And at first, I worked at a community paper, as many people do, but then I really found my niche inside of industry. So I wrote for Crane Communications, and I wrote for the rubber entire markets, which I still do on the side. And then I started working after there. But when I was there, I really got into like social media branding. And I like to say like, oh, I was, I'm like a social media dinosaur because I started before you had to like pay for it. But I started doing it before that. And I really, really fell in love with it. And tire business was geared towards independent tire dealers. I'm like, hey, you could reach so many customers on social media and here are tips on how to do it. And then I just kind of fell in love with helping people tell their stories and get their messaging out and understanding their differentiators so much so that I was like, okay, I think even though I love journalism, I'm going to do that on the side and then start this marketing path as like my full 
blown job. So then went to marketing agencies, still worked with industrial clients. And then I switched to go into the tech world where I was selling into transportation. So doing like CRM, customer experience, software integration, really understanding how sales and marketing work together, how some of those other departments could fit into those puzzles, watching the expansion of software integration, especially over COVID and how so many more people needed to see the visualization between different departments. You can't just go knock on your neighbor's door. Um, you can't share post-it notes. Uh, you know, you gotta go into that system. And a lot of those things were in place, but people just weren't using them because they were relying on being able to communicate with each other in office. And then it just exploded with COVID of, oh, okay, we need the software to talk to because our people can't necessarily talk the same way. And what I also loved about it, especially in terms of marketing, is all of a sudden people understood kind of what marketing does. Because I don't know about you, but obviously you've been on the marketing side of things too, but I was a director of marketing that worked by myself with a team of one or a team of two and nobody else at the company did marketing. No one understood what it meant. They thought you could just easily send over this request and it would take five minutes, right? Isn't that how long it takes to write a blog or to write email content, you know? And um, it doesn't. And with that merging or the integration of software, they're able to actually see like how many emails you're sending out. Oh, look, there's so many different lists of different types of customers and prospects that marketing has to like keep the database up on and make sure that we're sending to the right places and making sure that contact information is correct. So that understanding has really catapulted marketing in a different way than before. So with that company that I was working for, I was a member of TMSA and selling to transportation, working with a lot of transportation companies, and then joined the board of directors and fell in love with the organization. And when it then started to go through an evolution and started looking through for a new leadership, I threw my hat in the ring and I was like, that sounds great. Um, I just really believed in this organization and what it stood for. And as a board member, as someone who was kind of in charge of the marketing committee, I was looking at the different software and seeing how things could better connect or how we could do more for our members and how to kind of expand different parts of the business. And so I then, you know, put my name in and the board of directors God bless them, agreed to just let me take it over and um, work with them, which is, has been a great experience for me, especially as kind of a younger female in the industry. You never know how that's going to go over, but they've been fully supportive of what I represent and what I bring to the table and just so supportive of new ideas and embracing that. So it's been wonderful. And so as you, so when you, you got the nomination and you found out you, you had the, the position. So what were, you know, sort of like the, I guess the, those first few weeks, those first few months, when did you realize like what projects you wanted to tackle first and why? So because of being on, I had a unique experience because I was already kind of knee deep in some of these 
projects. So I knew for sure I wanted TMSA to have a new website and a new member portal because the old site just wasn't, it hadn't been updated in a while. There were so many CTAs everywhere. It was like, you had no idea where to click because there were so many clicks. You didn't know where the join button was. It was just, it just needed a refresh. And to really think through what do members or prospective members need from TMSA and making sure that our website and everything that we're putting forward facing aligns with that today and be able to expand for tomorrow because marketing and salespeople need so much more support from a variety of different places than they would have 5, 10, 15 years ago. So that was a big project that we did last year is really making sure that we sat in that and thought about what do our members need and how can we make sure that we have that educational content, those networking opportunities to present that. When we did the website project, it was also extremely important to me that all of the people on that site were real TMSA members or attendees. So we don't have stock images because we want to showcase who we really are and not Amen. just these fake people that float. And it's fun. Our members like to play like Where's Waldo with themselves on the new website and be like, oh, there's me or there's my friend or there, you know, so it makes it more fun and interactive that way. And then I would say the other huge overhaul that we did was in regards to our affiliate members and our sponsorship packages and what that looks like. So in previous TMSA iterations, we had a trade show floor with booths and we kind of changed the game on that. And we wanted to be able to help our affiliates, our sponsors to get the same type of engagement that other members were having in conversations. The conversations were going on in the hallways, real interactions, real connections, and not so much at the booth because everyone was in the hallway. So how can we help them have those kind of real engagements, real conversations, get their branding out? We also are a membership organization. We're not just one event. So giving opportunities to have a bundled package of different events that we do or digital assets on top of that to really give them what they need to succeed in an organization like this. This episode is brought to you by SPI Logistics, the premier freight agent and logistics network in North America. Are you currently building your freight brokerage's book of business and feel that your capabilities are being limited due to lack of support and access to adequate technology? At SPI Logistics, we have the technology, the systems, and the back office support to help you succeed. If you're looking to take control of your financial future and build your own business with the backing of one of the most successful logistics firms in North America, visit SPI3PL.com to learn more. And so when you're you're going through this process of developing the site of 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 you know out deciding what features to add to it you know a big part of that was the the HubSpot integration and I think that that is a tool that probably I would say the overwhelming majority of transportation companies or logistics companies either or are using in this space what what was I guess um maybe what was a big challenge of adding HubSpot? And then what was a big benefit of adding it? Yeah, so we do a metric study um, and we find that there are a lot of people, especially on the marketing automation side using HubSpot, but on the flip for the CRM, Salesforce is still hmm. bigger amongst this. And so I think a lot of them are using both of them and using the integration. Huh. It'll be interesting to see how that ramps up in time since now both of those have both sides of those in their own kind of thing like where they used to be just 
best friends. Now they're friends and competitors. So frenemies, they're frenemies. So it'll be interesting how that kind of develops, but that I just wanted to share that because, um, their stats that we know because of our yeah. study. Um, so for us, we had the marketing automation for HubSpot already. What we added was pretty much everything else. So we had added our website, we added our member portal, our payments, it's attached to QuickBooks. It's all kind of encompassed in that. And some of those are new for HubSpot mm-hmm. and developing them and utilizing their HubDB tables, which are the most user-friendly way to build stuff. It's very easy. You just like make sure your Database photo... tables? Yep. They're database oh, okay. tables. It's kind of how um, our member resources and our event pages are set up. So you just make sure that whatever your image size is the image size you have throughout your site. So everything lines up properly. But nice. that's if you don't do that, then it It'll look kind of wonky, but besides that, it's really, really easy. And um, so very user-friendly, both on the back end and for our users who are in the system looking through our member portal, our member resources, and all that information. I would say the hardest part is just, especially on the member portal side of things, or event registration, like some of this stuff is newer to HubSpot and they build mm. from the ground up, which I love because then it is seamless when they get there. But I feel like we've been really like, knock, knock, HubSpot, like, can you <laughs> figure out how to do this? Because like we need to be able to do this. So um, I always joke that like HubSpot either loves us or hates us because we, you know, knock on the door so much. But we have a great support there and a, a team that works with us to really help us get to where we need to go in terms of being able to support the membership. That's interesting too that you, that you mentioned the the member survey because I, I think that that is I think it's the only one within the industry that actually surveys like sales and marketing leaders and the software tech stacks that they're using, which is often very different from the own tech stacks that are operating within the transportation company themselves. So it's kind of like they're they're siloed off a little bit when they should be more merged together. Is that I, I guess maybe a safe assumption? Yeah. So the metric study we do every other year. Is- it is the only one of its kind that are, you know, looking at those sales and marketing figures. And it's, you know, what software are you using? But like, what's your marketing budget? What's your sales budget? How do you divide your sales team? What are your sales projections? How many digital marketing people do you have on your team? What are you outsourcing? What are you keeping in house? It's really a great benchmarking for a lot of people who are trying to determine like, what is the industry norm? And it is a benefit of being a member that that is free to members. It's something that we put out for our membership. And I love to highlight that because that alone to me is like price of membership because it's so valuable. And we really wanted to make sure when we put that out last year that we were thinking about this post COVID world because the last iteration of that was done in the beginning of 2020. Mm. So it was like worlds away from where we are now. And I do think that software piece has become even more important and even like really funny stuff like the social media channels, like TikTok didn't even show up as something that as an other in 2020, but is now this emerging platform that businesses are using in transportation. And so some of those trends are really fun to see. But unfortunately, things like how many marketing people do you have on staff, that really didn't change a lot. It was a lot of one maybe two. <laughs> yeah. So there, you know, some <laughs> do more with change. less. <laughs> yep. Some people do um, change and some people, some things didn't change. So, but it's always really interesting to dive into that and really see what people are spending money on and how they're doing it. 
Do you have any other of like your favorite stats from from the perspective or not the prospectus, but the the, the survey? So I definitely think that um, that stat of the marketing people, because it is, I mean, anecdotally, I can see that a lot of our members are one people team, one person teams. That was not correct grammar. Uh, One person (laughs) teams that are doing all this work and interesting to see like what is doing what's in-house versus outsource, like things like video SEO, you would expect to be outsourced and they are, but there's Mm -hmm. a ton of people doing the in-house too, which is insane to me with these small teams. And then, um, but every single person did event planning in-house there was no one who was outsourcing that. So it was interesting to kind of see. And I was like, okay. And maybe that's because throughout COVID people weren't doing events as much, but obviously now we're ramping up. And I do think that like you were saying, yeah, do more with less. We are then continuing to put more and more on that one person. And I do think in some ways that's where TMSA can come in and support. If for no other reason, then you feel less crazy and alone because (laughs) you feel like people in your company are asking you to do so much. And you're like, maybe I'm the crazy one who thinks that this is an unrealistic expectation, but then you can come together with other marketers and they're like, no, this isn't an unrealistic expectation. And you can also, as a marketing person, engage with salespeople in the organization to be like, this was my favorite part when I was a member. Hey, salesperson, how can I create better sales enablement for my sales? How can I be a more of a supportive marketing person to the sales process? What should I know? Because you don't want to necessarily ask your own salespeople those questions because they're very busy and you want to produce what they need. And not that they don't want to support that, but I mean, it's kind of your job as the marketing person to do that field research and understand. So having a network like TMSA really lets you dive into that and be kind of vulnerable and ask like the embarrassing questions you wouldn't want to ask in your own job. (laughs) And that's for sure. That that's definitely been my experience at um, my my first in person TMSA event. What was at last year's conference, and it was one of those moments where. you expect people to be really, you know, sort of close to the chest and not share some of those insights. But, you know, we're, we're all sort of battling, I think everyone that was or every most of the people that I talked to at the conference, it was very, um, almost like consoling, like everybody's just kind of hugging each other. (laughs) Because we all know uh, the the just the frustration of being a one person marketing team and not having a lot of even just a second pair of eyes on something that you've written Mm -hmm. has been incredibly challenging. And and, you know, having uh, experienced feedback on the work that you've created, I, I was a one person marketing team at a transportation company. And then I went to go work for a magazine. And the stress level of being able to go to other creatives and say, is this good or is this crap was just so it was such an, I guess, a stress reliever from that aspect, because I could rely on other people that were experienced. And I think that that's a struggle that a lot of marketers are dealing with is that not only are they dealing with, you know, the relate the combative relationship that sales and marketing has historically had, but you know, these people genuinely want to help the business do better from a marketing standpoint and on the sales standpoint, they want to, you know, make as much money as they can. So they're both aligned, but how do you get that good, I guess, working collaborative nature out of them? It's still really challenging, I think, for a lot of marketers. Why do you think that so many transportation companies only have one person handling their marketing? <laughs> So I do think it is that 
understanding of what they actually do and what they can represent. I think too often people just think of marketing as advertising. And there's so much more to marketing than that. If you really think about how much industry trend and market research your marketing team is actually doing, they should absolutely have a seat at the table and to be able to discuss and talk through those points because they're doing a lot of that. And if you're not really utilizing that information in for your customer support and your customer database and all that stuff, you're missing opportunities. Um, I also think that when times are confusing or are in a downturn, marketing budgets are normally the first to get cut. And the biggest expense for a marketing budget is going to be the pay of your marketing team, which that was the other thing that came out of that survey that when we talk about marketing spend, you're often thinking about, oh, this is all the money you have to spend on what you're doing. But like your, your marketing team and their pay is also included in that. So like, if you think about how much people are spending on that one person, and then if you add a second person, third person, fourth person, that can affect your budget. And same with whatever you're outsourcing, like you have to pay those people to do the outsourcing. So if you have leadership or other people on your team that don't understand the value of what you're doing, it's going to be the first thing that's cut, especially Mm -hmm. in a confusing market or a downturn or something like that. But on the flip side of that, if you really think about understanding what your differentiator is, how you're explaining your brand to the market, how you're going to market with that information, how you're aligning your brand statements throughout your organization, it becomes more important to have that unified message and to be able to explain how you are different and why customers and prospects should work with you in those confusing times. But it's always the first to get cut. I also think a big piece of this, um, like a misstep, is that when we are talking about brand, we're only talking about it in marketing. Let your marketing person be a part of that conversation for sure. That's like the owner of it. But anyone that has customer FaceTime should understand your brand value, should understand your mission, all of those things that are on your wall somewhere in your business or in like the one page you send to new employees, that stuff shouldn't just be buried. That should be a forward facing and it should all align. There might be in different parts of the conversation between billing, customer service, sales, marketing, they all talk to the customer in different places, but ultimately it should still be part of the same value, the same brand, the same alignment. So they feel like they really understand who your company is. And those things are going to push you further in this like confusing market or when you're not getting as much business when you want to, to really understand who you are as a brand, as a business, and all of those people are a part of that puzzle. Yeah, extremely well said, because it, that was one of the, the light bulb moments for me at, at TMSA last year is when I heard someone say that they are marketing to the internal employees first before they ever go external, because they want the entire team to be on the same page of how they're marketing their services and what services they're even marketing or lanes or commodities, you know, whatever niche that they are, and then having that that brand statement, that brand value, every having everybody be consistently on the same page, especially with like new product releases or new service releases, things like that, that you would be shocked at how many marketers just send that message off to the public first and then don't actually educate the internal team as well. And they're like, oh, well, it's news to me. Yeah, I think that that's true when we talk about 
technology too. I think that was something I saw like in my old role. And I still see that when I'm talking to sales and marketing people is too often people go directly to market to find that new software solution. And they're not first asking like the people who are actively working in the systems, like, Hey, what would you want a new system to do? What is not working in your current system? And that question is incredibly important because you might be able just to put like an add-on or an integration to something. You don't have to buy a whole new system. Some people are like, oh, well, we can't invest in that because it's too much money to switch platforms. But you might not have to if you really understand like the heart of the issue. Like if you, so for instance, yes, like I wanted to make sure that our billing system could connect to our member portal that could connect to our like sales function. And that's kind of why everything came into HubSpot because I needed to be able to have someone buy a membership and then an invoice be created that will then file into QuickBooks. I don't want to do that manually. I don't want to have to do all that behind the scenes stuff. So if that's all you need your system to do, there there's integrations for that that you can add into your platform. But if it is more sophisticated, if you do need some other solutions, it, you might need to build something specific to you, or you may have to have a new platform. I mean, I don't know those answers because it's a, it's a personal use case, but too often people just go to market and buy what they think makes sense. And you're not actually talking to the people who are in that software system day in and day out, or like they'll buy the CRM and be like, Oh, look, there's a marketing platform in here. Use this marketing team, but they weren't part of the training process. They weren't part of the decision-making process or vice versa. They buy a marketing platform. Oh, there's a CRM. Use this sales team. Have all of those people as part of the conversation. One, you're going to get better buy-in because you know no one likes change and they're going to be crabby because you're making them do something new. But if you came to them from the beginning and said, hey, we're actually doing this to make your job better and more efficient. We value what you bring to this company. We're not getting software to replace you. We want to like use your skill set and make your job easier for you. How can we help you with that? They're going to appreciate you more. They're are going to give you positive feedback that's going to actually do those things. And then when you do implement it, they're more likely to gravitate to it and actually use the system than actively avoid it as many people do when you don't do those things. Yeah. The, the worst thing you can do is just buy the shiny new tech tool and then tell your team, oh, go use it. And they're probably um, not going to use it. They're probably going to put up much of a fight because um, especially when it comes to like CRMs, I'm, I'm shocked at at my old company that I worked at that is out of business. So I don't mind talking about this. But <laughs> we had like four CRMs that were being used in the building. And that is just it was a nightmare to operate from the marketing standpoint. And I was a big HubSpot fan back then. But then, you know, we uh, we had, you know, some people that had just used Salesforce for years and they wanted that one. So that was a, a given to have that software platform. I think HubSpot and CRM are, are clearly like the, the one and two. But then you had some people that are like, oh, you know, I have this other CRM or I have this spreadsheet that I use as a <laughs> CRM. And it's like, oh, Lord, how are we going to track anything? We're not going to be able to be efficient at our job. And then... If I'm not efficient at my job, then you know, like you said earlier, marketing is the first thing that gets cut because I can't prove my value. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And if you think about it, then a lot of those, when you're looking at your cost and your ROI, 
So maybe they invested in all four of those CRMs and they deem all four of those CRM investments as failures because the people Mm -hmm. aren't using it. But really, if they would have just had a better process implementing it and onboarding it and having consistent training, because that's the other piece that people forget. You do onboarding and then you just think that the people are going to remember everything. They don't because they're humans. And if you're not doing something every day, you don't remember. But like having that consistent continued training and investment in your team, then those things become much more successful, both from just like a, them using it, but what you actually want them to do with it and having clear expectations on that too. Like what type of reporting are you putting in the system? What, what do you, what information are you trying to pull out of that and have? All of those things are a piece of the puzzle and not everyone does that. And so then they think, oh, well, this system can't do that or this is a failure of a project. But if you would have just really made sure that you're identifying the most important things that you want to achieve, making sure that software can do it at the price point you can pay for it and then making sure your team has buy-in, then you can go a lot further with that. Do you wish there was a central place to pull in all of your social media posts, recruit employees, and give potential customers a glimpse into how you operate your business? Well, all of this should already be on your website, but too often we hand that responsibility of building our online home off to a cousin, a neighbor's kid down the street, or a stranger across the world. Digital Dispatch believes in building a better website at a fraction of the cost that those big-time marketing agencies would charge. Because we've spent years on those digital front lines, our experienced team focuses on the modern web technologies to bring in all of the places you're already active online, show off those customer success stories, and measure the ROI of it all in one place. With managed website plans starting at $90 a month, head on over to digitaldispatch.io to see how we can build your digital ecosystem on a strong foundation. We've got explainer videos right on the website and the ability to book a demo immediately. Find it all over at digitaldispatch.io. And now as you sort of, you know, talk about onboarding, let's talk a little bit about sort of the the, the TMSA sort of onboarding process. Um, When I become a new member, when someone becomes a new member, what have you noticed, I guess, from from maybe new members or or current members that is sort of like a light bulb moment for them whenever they, they join TMSA? So one thing I will say is our onboarding process is one of the things we're most actively looking to um, make significantly better because we found that there's really not a super formal onboarding. And that's something I think is really important when you join an organization that you understand the value and what you're paying for. So the light bulb moments always happen at conference. If someone shows up to conference, they get the camaraderie, they get the community, they understand who the organization is and that this isn't just, oh, you come together one, two, three days for a year, and then maybe you see them again in the future. This is, oh, I'm meeting these people here. And this is a touch point for relationships that I can continue to engage with year round. And that's something that's really important. But we're trying to make sure that we're implementing that throughout our membership touch points. And it's not just at a conference. We did add a second conference, the executive summit that's in the fall. So that would be two major in-person events that people can see each other at. But we have virtual roundtables. We've started doing some local networking events. We have webinars 
Um, and we're always open for suggestions. I mean, that's to me, the most important thing as a leader is your ability to listen mm-hmm. and to understand what your team or for me, what my members really need us to be and then do my best to try to implement that. And sometimes that's a little slower than maybe people want because there's a lot of things and there's a lot of um, different processes to consider or um, stepping stones to get to other places. But I'm always willing to listen and I want to hear from members, both current members, past members, prospective members. What do you want TMSA to be and how can we help you in your job? I mean, we are a trade nonprofit. Everything that we do is to build better programming, to better engage our membership, to provide more opportunities for members. So we want that kind of feedback. We want to understand what sales and marketing professionals today need. Today, sorry, we want to know what sales and marketing professionals need today to succeed and what Mm -hmm. they could need for tomorrow to be successful and kind of be that resource for them. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that's been, you know, the, 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 the super selling point for me, because I do often wonder, you know, how do you, it, it's got to be challenging, you know, with YouTube, everything is on demand that you can learn at a moment's notice. Um, you know, social media, I can, you know, I quote unquote network with, with people on social media. So, you know, wh- how do you sell, I guess, the value of an in-person com or, you know, the, the value of a, a marketing and sales association? And I think you just answered that with the in-person connections of, of getting to know folks who are in the same exact position as you and not being scared about, you know, revealing sort of insider trade secrets, uh, you know, to the competition which is what traditionally like the executives are are typically scared of doing but you know for a lot of marketers it's it, it, what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you but you might be able to cherry pick some things mm-hmm. that that work out for you and that was the big light bulb moment for me at at last year's TMSA was being able to to hear that direct feedback of what is working for folks and what isn't working. Because I've often wondered, you know, how do you sell the value of this association in this social media environment? But I think you just answered it, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it's really about making continued relationships and connections to people that want to talk about sales and marketing and transportation and logistics, because there's really, I mean, there's a lot of us, but in the, the ecosystem of the world, there's really not that many of us. Right. And I know like I, I will go to other conferences and I love going to other conferences. I love engaging and networking with people who have nothing to do with me, but other parts of the industry to learn. But then I'm always like, where are the people who want to talk about the things I want to talk about? And that's, that was how I felt when I first came into TMSA as a member. I went to conference after conference after conference my first year at that tech company in transportation. And then I was like, oh, here they are. They're all right here. I don't even have to like try to find them randomly on a trade show floor. If that's what this conference is, it's for the sales and marketing professionals to come together and talk about those, what they want to talk about. It's not just all the other things that other people in the industry want to talk about. It's very specific to your roles and how to support what you're doing. And you can talk to people who have your same job title or the job title that you're trying to aspire to. We have a ton of leadership like CMOs and like high level directors of marketing and um, presidents and sales directors and all of those that you can be aspiring to. And maybe you 
I would love to start some type of formal mentorship program in the future for TMSA, but for right now it would be informal, but like talk to them, engage with them, see how they got to where they are in their career, see if they can help you succeed or have any success for you. And what I love about TMSA is when you make that connection, people always pick up the phone. I remember I even had like a new sponsor last year and they said they sent out an email before conference and people responded to it. And she's like, like almost everybody. And that's unheard of. You know, the emails that you send out as a marketer ahead of a conference, be like, hey, we're going to be there too. But people wanted to engage and were excited to see someone new and like wanted to show them support for being part of the show. And that is unique to us, I think, because it is a collaborative and supportive group. But with that, we also work really hard to not be like clicky. Like we have the TMSA buddy program, where if you're a new person coming into conference, you can sign up to be assigned to a buddy and you can have a TMSA veteran do a Zoom call with you ahead of the show and have conversations with you throughout the show. We've actually added a newcomer's reception this year. So for the first half hour, you'll be with just the new people and then we'll have some type of like competition with your buddy, like you and your buddy will compete against the other new people and their buddies. We haven't fully scoped out what that looks like yet, but I'm really excited about it (laughs) because it just gives you more time with your buddy and to feel comfortable and to meet the other new people before we then go into the other networking parts of the evening. Because to me, that's when we were talking about this before, like you, you might have one person you go to trade shows with and you feel really comfortable, but not everyone has that, especially if you're brand new to the industry. And it's kind of terrifying to walk into a networking event where everybody clearly knows each other. And Mm. even if they seem nice, like you feel out of place. And so for sure, that's something that we really work towards to try to change. And we do believe in adding more networking opportunities, more ways for you to engage on top of those educational um, components to our show. So for instance, so this year, our Elevate Conference is June 11th through 13th in Savannah, Georgia. And we, on June 10th, so the Saturday ahead of conference, we're going to the Savannah Bananas game. And super excited to do that. Um, The bananas was definitely something that my members were screaming at me last year as soon as I announced that we were going to Savannah. And I was like, they're going to be way too cool for us. But they, I mean, they are, but they're not. They have been lovely. We have Jared Orton, the president, coming as our keynote speaker then on Monday, and he's bringing with him like his marketing manager, his customer service, his fans first to come on as a QA component to his keynote because he knows that we are sales and marketing people. I did a LinkedIn Live with Jared and he was wonderful. People were throwing him like crazy specific marketing questions and he answered them because I was like, give him a minute. Like he's bringing his marketing people to the show. You have to come to conference, but he gave like really (laughs) insightful things, which I was like, kudos to you. But um, so just giving more opportunities to engage with each other, having more ways to have real conversations, I, I think is key. And we do encourage people to keep those relationships up throughout the year and not just at conference. Yeah, for sure. I, there's definitely connections that I made at last year's TMSA conference that I regularly message with now. Um, Whitney over at, is it KCH? I always get the acronyms wrong. KCH yes, or KH? Yes, yeah, KCH. KCH. Oof, thank God. Oof, got that one right. <laughs> um, but I regularly speak, you know, talk with her and she is one of, I think, the sweetest people I have ever met in my life. But she is also a very, very big like TMSA fan and she was just so 
welcoming and uh, just such a, a genuinely nice person. And that is, you know, my experience with, I can't even say like 99.9% because I want to say it's 100%. I've never had like a bad experience, you know, with somebody within the organization itself. Now, as you're, you were kind of talking a little earlier about, you know, the, the topics that your members care about. And I imagine that some of these topics are going to be covered at the upcoming conference. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview on what some of those topics are? Absolutely. So we are sales and marketing focused and we do have a session on sales and marketing alignment, which is great. Super excited about that one. Um, no fighting allowed. No fighting allowed. We should all be <laughs> friends. Um, and then we have, so Whitney is speaking and she's talking about, um, building your brand through messaging and how important that is. We have um, somebody speaking. David Adler is a lawyer in the transportation space, but actually on branding, which I think is amazing because a lot of times we're talking about the legality of other things, but like, how do you safeguard your brand? What are the rules around that? Like tips and tricks to like, make sure you're doing things right. And you're protecting your brand, which I was like, yes. When I saw that come in, I'm like, absolutely. This sounds like a perfect topic for us because that's something that everyone I think needs advice on, especially right now. Um, we have Samantha Jones from Rocket Ship Shipping speaking on how to use your people for your brand, especially in that sales capacity. Um, we have Michelle LeBlanc with Drop and Hook is coming with uh, Amber Karen of Wreaths Across America and talking oh, about cool. how you can have this mission-driven purpose and bring people together and really do great like marketing and sales, but just how that mission-driven initiative can help shape your business and how people care about that. And I will say, um, I do a lot of like generations research for fun because I'm weird and like, but <laughs> younger generations care more and more and more about what companies care about and what they represent mm -hmm. and what organizations they support and what they're doing. So I'm really excited for that because I do think as we talk about even recruiting and retention, showcasing that you support an organization like Reads Across America is going to become even more and more important in our space for um, younger generations coming into the workplace. Um, we have, oh, well, we have, we'll have a live TMSA morning show with you oh. and Trey Griggs, <laughs> which we'll talk. I knew that as soon as yes. you pointed to the camera, like, I knew. That I was, was like, I'm missing something. Um, so we just, have I a, swear I didn't set up, set it yes, up that way. <laughs> but it's, I'm very excited for that. Like I said, we have the Savannah Bananas president coming as our opening keynote. There are just so many great topics, um, both sales and marketing, um, applicable for both like a sales rep, a marketing practitioner, up to a marketing leader, a sales leader. Um, we're going to the bananas game before. And then also we have limited space, but doing a tour of the Port of Savannah after the close of conference. So Tuesday afternoon. Awesome. So that was something we had really heard from members is they want more opportunity to network. And we obviously don't want to dilute our education because it is so powerful and, and jam packed in there. So we're trying to add more opportunity to still learn and engage and but just adding kind of more opportunity to do that on the back ends of the show. And it's such a cute city too. And it's Savannah is a, a major port city, but also it's just such a fun historical city as well. And so I think for a lot of folks who traditionally, you know, they, they go to a lot of conferences throughout the year. I don't think a lot of conferences happen too much in Savannah, the, the city itself. So for folks who have never been to Savannah, it is a gorgeous city, 
great food. You know, they, I, I, this might be related. I don't know who, who would care about this, but they also have a lot of restaurants that have to go windows that you can walk right up, order a drink and then walk around downtown That's, Savannah. Yeah. That was, uh, when I pitched this to the board, I was like, there's something for everyone. It's a transportation city. It's beautiful. There's historic, you can do ghost tours for our, our younger conglomerates and some of our older too. You can drink in the street. Like there's, I have something for everybody. Like there really is. And that's, yes. I mean, I'm very um, thoughtful when I think about where we should go. I think about where people, we are lucky that people want to embrace us and go to conferences and people are more selective to that now more than ever. So we do really think about where should these go? Where would people want to travel? We encourage people to bring their families that bananas event, please bring your, your families with you to the game. We just ask that you don't give out the links to people who like aren't any way associated to TMSA, but like, <laughs> but like bring your families. We're organizing a tailgate before the show oh, and just cool. really embracing that. I mean, I have a husband and a son. They'll be there. I mean, our professional lives come into our personal life all the time. So in my perspective, why don't we do that a little bit on the opposite side and bring some of our personal life? I do think um, through COVID, like we've all been in each other's houses and we've met our families and, and stuff. And it is fun. Like you met my husband mm-hmm. and son last year at, at conference. And that was really cool. Like to share that part, watching my son, like full on network and give like hearty handshakes <laughs> to the, to the people who were at the pool was very fun. Um, but it's just, I think that's a piece of who we are. And especially knowing we do have a June conference. So that's when people do travel with their families. Like, why not just to in, incorporate that into what we're doing? So you can go learn. And also, you know, we started on Sunday nights. So you can have that full weekend mostly to network or, or not to network, to network with your family, to spend time with your family <laughs> before you have to start networking with uh, professionals. Yeah, because I, I think that that's really important because for folks who do go to a lot of conferences, you're away from home a lot. And, you know, the families are the ones that typically suffer from that because it's not just you coming back home and having to, you know, catch up on all the work that you miss, but you got to catch up on family time too. So why not bring the family along and, and then you don't have to do all that. Yes, <laughs> Whatever you just merge home. that together. <laughs> now, 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 switching gears a little bit, I am a huge proponent of um, – I guess responsible AI is the best way to put that. And um, I've been incorporating it more and more into my different workflows and processes. But, you know, my current workflows and processes, even determining what that looks like and then adding software to it, kind of going echoing back to your point earlier about the importance of doing that first before I bought a lot of AI tools and I probably shouldn't have. Um, so now I'm regretting that decision. So figure out your thought processes first before you go out and, and buy all this software. But you kind of have a different take on a lot of like the, the AI movement, ChatGPT, all of that. Um, you, you mentioned early, not in this show, but in our, our previous conversations that it, it scares the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is an important an important part of the discussion that needs to be had. So I mean, not to kind of put you on the spot, but yeah, to kind of put you on the spot. What, 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 what scares you about AI? Yeah, it scares me. Not like in the, I think that the computers are going to take over the world kind of that like some people think, but I do think, um, I think about the creative space 
mm-hmm. and how important it is for me. So I, I was a copywriter. I was a journalist. Like writing is so important to me. And to think that a computer is going to take over that is really challenging or like for designers, like, yes. So like your, the role is completely changing and could potentially wipe that out. And that, that is scary to me. And I think while there, there are things that make sense. Like I listen to a lot of your stuff. Um, like when you were talking about like, Oh, there's a lot of blog content I had that I need to refresh and I put it into the chat GPT and it like pops something out in a minute. Like, but I like that you had to write it first. Like you had to earn it. <laughs> you had to earn the use of it in a way, yeah. but just like the concept that we're putting something in and then it, it can pop out so quickly. Mm-hmm. I think there is, um, I'm a, and I'm scared of the purpose. Like, when I write something, there is a purpose to it. I'm thinking, who is my audience? I'm making sure I'm writing to them, to what I think their needs are. And I I don't know how much the chat GBT is going to do that. I mean, I know we can mm-hmm. put it in there like this is to this person, but like, what does it actually look like for them? And yeah, I think it's scary because it, it is evolving very, very quickly and very, very rapidly. And I think right now it can be a tool to help somebody, but at what point does that take over? And then, then, then where are we? So it's not that I'm not supportive of technology. I'm a big, I love technology, even though it hates me. Technology like always <laughs> shuts down for me. Uh, but what, where is this leading? Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of what scares me, especially when we think about the, the jobs. Like, would I, as if I came into the job market 15, 20 years after I did, would I have a job? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So what does that, yeah. you know, look like? And, and how are our students that are coming? So I teach community college sometimes in my free time, but I don't really have <laughs> <laughs> but like, what are these kids going to be doing? Or like my nephew is graduating with a marketing degree this year. Um, what does that look like for him? What is his career actually going to be? And I know, I mean, there's been a lot of changes over time. Like I remember when I was in college, like internet marketing was like an optional class to take. And not, or it was internet journalism, <laughs> online journalism. I don't know why I'm calling it internet journal. But like, I was like this, I, at the time I still felt like it shouldn't have been optional, but like mm-hmm. that curriculum obviously was changing. But like, what is that going to look like now? And what are the jobs going to look like? And I mean, I, I think there's been a ton, like even with like CRM super, like, oh, well, if I put my data in there, my job's going to go away. And I'm like, well, that's not true. But for this, I'm kind of like, but it might be true now. Like it, like this technology, <laughs> like that might, like the CRM, no, that yeah. you still need to call the person. You are then putting that information of like, hey, don't call Sally B at 9 a.m. on a Monday or she'll be really pissed at you and never return your phone calls again. Like you have to put that in there. Like the, the computer's never going to understand that. True. But like for some of this stuff, like it can take over your job. Yeah, there was, um, and we had kind of talked about this before the show, but I'll, I'll mention it, you know, for the, the audience sake is that there was this thing, there was this post that went viral on, on Reddit about a week ago, that it was a game designer, he was a 3D animator, and he wrote this long post. And it was really, uh, it made me really feel, you know, sort of sympathetic and, and empathetic to, you know, his role. And he said, basically, my job changed overnight. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a choice in this. There was no, you know, sort of evolution into new technology. It happened overnight for him. And the owner of the company, they're, you know, they're responsible for creating a video game. And he's responsible for, you know, creating the characters that go inside the game. And that 
was a really enjoyable process for him to be able to think through and create. And it, that gave him purpose. And now that purpose has been taken away from him overnight. And he hates it. His boss loves it. His coworker loves it. But he absolutely hates it. And I, I see that. And I really, I, I empathize with that. But my, I, I have to admit, like, my first thought was also, well, now I can make a game. Like I, you know, I can create a game now because these tools exist and, you know, seeing it almost as like a, a tool in, you know, my tool belt is kind of the, the way that I, I see AI. Um, but I, I was talking to a, a, a software developer earlier today and he said that he's been using ChatGPT religiously, but it's still very much a junior like if a junior coder came in and tried to use it, he wouldn't have the same nuance and experience to know what is crap and what is good code. Mm -hmm. And so he he sees it as almost, you know, kind of the same, like, a you know, I'm an artist and this is, you know, the, one of my paintbrushes and my toolkit. Um, but he did say, and I, I, I agree with him completely, that it, it's, it requires much more nuance, I think, and experience to know the outputs that, you know, come from these systems to, so you still have to kind of do all of the training, but, you know, perhaps these tools could come in and help alleviate some of the grunt work that you don't like doing, building databases and, you know, adding leads to the CRM and, and things like that. But to bring up your, your job um, topic, because I, I actually have this on my notes to, to write about this in, a, in my newsletter, but um, Inside.com came out with a stat today that said 25% of U.S. jobs across all industries could be at risk to be replaced by AI. And that's a new report coming from Goldman and 25% of the job market. And that is something that we need to have a real discussion around just as a country, as a society, like as a whole, like what are all these people going to do right. when they don't have their work, when they don't have their purpose? And, you know, there, there's a lot of societal uh, downstream effects that can happen if they don't have that purpose. Yeah, I, and, and I think that that's where your your argument sort of really rings true. Yeah, I think there's a lot of impl implement implications with that. And I think too, like I fundamentally then, what does that mean for a leader? Are you then getting rid of 25% of your workforce or are you keeping the workforce, but making them do something else? And I, if, uh, people probably have different answers for that. But like, mm -hmm. I, I think through that, because I do believe there's this quote that I really like that says like, whatever got you to this point, isn't what's going to keep you there. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, I don't believe I would have the same for I mean, my career path has been insane anyways. Like if you would have told me when I graduated, Oh, you're going to be a journalist and you're going to be, uh, Oh, I worked for PR newswire at some point too. So like, nice. you're going to then go like do press releases. Then you're going to go back to journalism, but you're going to write about tires and then you're going to go, you know, all these places. It wouldn't make sense, but like, but I, it keeps you on your toes. You have to evolve. You have to keep changing and you can be at the absolute top of your game. But if you just stay exactly where you are, everyone else is going to like move past you. But I do think it's really important that as we think through that, we're then cross training our team to do other stuff. It's like the same as like in a plant, like your machinist should be trained on different machines so that if that person goes out 
on a vacation, then that person can move over there and keep the production running. But are we doing that in, in other roles? So like as a copywriter, am I being cross-trained on any other skill set? Or and is that on me as the employee or on you as the employer on that? Like what else am I being utilized for? How am I growing my mm-hmm. skill set so that when that particular skill set becomes obsolete? Because I agree, like the sophistication of the AI tools right now are where they are, but think about where they were six months ago to where they are now to where they'll be six months from now. It's evolving so quickly. So like, and most people don't know. Yeah. And yeah. So, which is part of what's terrifying. Like we just don't know. But well, with- there's also the the letter, like the open letter that came from, you know, I think it was uh, Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak, you know, co-founder of Apple and a, a bunch of other tech leaders that said we need to pause all um, future AI tool releases for six months just so we can collectively as a society debate it because all of these tools are just moving. Italy just banned ChatGPT too. And Germany is talking about banning it um, just as a platform overall. Even It probably won't work because VPNs exist. So people will still be able to access it. So it's a real sort of societal conversation that is that needs to happen because this stuff is happening in the background and most people I don't think are even slightly aware of it. Yeah, that's part of what scares me. I mean, I just think like we were talking the other day about how you're like, oh, like there's this app that like it'll make my face and put makeup on me so I don't have to actually ever put makeup on again. And I'm like, how? Yes, that sounds lovely. I I had to put makeup on to come on the show because I don't wear it. But I'm like, <laughs> is that not terrifying to anyone else that it can just put makeup on our face? Like it could just completely change our face. I mean, that, and that's scary to me. Um, and it also, I feel like it takes away a part of humanity. Like what our filtered face, like you should be able to tell when a face is filtered and we can't anymore. So yeah. like that, that's a whole different discussion. I opened a rabbit well, hole, but. Oh yeah. I was about to go down. I had to stop myself. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, but uh, so I, I, I will give another example that, that I think is really fascinating um, is that uh, th- there's this writer and he's been writing online um, for years but he has taken all of his writings and he's trained ChatGPT on all of his own data set in order to help speed up the process of him writing. And he said, he, he released it, it was David Sachs from the, the All In podcast. And he said that he's training this system on all of his past writings and with a new article that he just released, that he released it in a half a day because instead of versus a week that it would have typically taken him to write this like research piece because the system has been trained on all of his past writings. And I thought that that is so just fascinating from like a workhorse Mm -hmm. standpoint, from a personal standpoint. Um, But I mean, there's still it, there's, there's that sort of upside of it. But then on the flip side of it, I just, I, I, I do have a serious concern about what's going to happen to the roles uh, that marketers and sales folks have been used to working in for, you know, that really the, the, all of our lives is being upended overnight and there isn't really a warning or discussion around it. It's just full steam ahead by a lot of these companies. And it's competition now too. Who can have the better features? Who can release it between Google and Microsoft? And, you know, Facebook is entering the ring as well. And God knows what they're going to do with all that data that they have. So there's real implications that are coming from this. I even had to have a, uh, you know, a conversation with my family the other day because there's AI tools that already exist that can clone your voice and clone you as a video. Mm-hmm. And so they can have you say something that you have actually never said 
And now they're using, there's like these advanced like um, phone scammers that will use your voice to call your family and extort money from them. And, and you're like, at it, no point am I ever calling you right. <laughs> for this. Right. <laughs> but I, 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 I think about like my grandma, for example, who fell for one of those. And the guy didn't even sound like my, you know, my cousin. <laughs> he had said he was, you know, in a, in a jail in, in another country. And my grandmother was ready to wire him thousands of dollars because it sounded like her grandson. And I just think about all of those kind of implications that we haven't really thought of yet, that you have to now have that conversation with your family, that mm-hmm. what is our safe word? If I call and I'm in danger and I'm asking for money or I'm asking for help. And that I think that that's a real reality of the world we live in now. And I think it's terrifying too, because like I was even like, it's like safe adults at school. Like that's part of what my son, my son is six. And they're talking about like, who are safe adults you can talk to who are not. And I'm thinking about that. And like, he's not allowed online without us by any means, but like, at what point is he then, if people are cloning your safe adults and talking to your child, that predatory behavior becomes even more terrifying Hmm. because now we're telling them, Oh, tell us who you think your safe adults are. I'm whispering because he's probably like on the other side of the door. (laughs) Uh, But like, who are your safe adults and who do you feel like you can talk to? So now knowing that like there are online programs that can mimic you is scary. And I, mm-hmm. I respect the leaders saying, hey, like, maybe we should like really think through what we're doing. And I hope that it that's like a real conversation that happens because, yes, where are we heading as a, I mean, even just like TikTok freaks me out. Like, I mean, because of what is being shown to our children and like even YouTube, like we have, I mean, we let our son watch it and then we're like, we have to really pull back on this. And like, now he can only watch it if we're in the room and we have to have conversations about some of the things that, and like why he can't watch certain videos. And like, there's just a lot, everything moves so fast and it's a society that we've built and we like things to move fast. We like things to change. We like to see new stuff, but like, what, what are the implications of that for us as a society? And where are those jobs going? When you were talking about the writer, there are some things about that that I really like because I think there are a lot of media, especially mainstream media, who just write and move things really fast without fast mm-hmm. like fact checking. So I think responsible journalists have more opportunity to get the word out faster. But then on the flip side, if a non-responsible journalist is then putting stuff into ChatGPT, they are also able to move that needle right. even faster. So like, what is the safeguard around this? Like, I think just um, internet behavior is, you know, laws are so far behind that now that we're moving even faster on some of the stuff, like how is it ever going to catch up? Yeah. And I think, you know, you you hit the nail on the head because content moderation has, uh, you know, fake news and misinformation, all that stuff has been a problem for pretty much, you know, our, our entire existence as far as like how news is spread and how quickly it spreads now with, with the internet. But it's also, uh, we got an election coming up soon, and now we have all this deep fake technology that is just available to the masses. It's not just something that, you know, we can blame on a foreign government anymore. Right. It could just, it could be someone in the next room to you. It, it could be, you know, someone down the street from you that that are making and creating these things for nefarious reasons. You know, I think for probably, you know, for the overall 
I think nature of humanity, it's le- it's, it remains to be seen on if this is a, a, a value add to society or not. I tend to look at kind of, you know, the glass half full and, and see it as a value add because complex problems require complex solutions. And I think we're going to see some of those bad actors, of course, but hopefully... You know, I think a lot of this discussion has been around, you know, helping the one person marketing team, helping the one person sales team. That's where I I, I see a lot of like the light at the end of the tunnel with a lot of these tools. I, you know, when that writer talked about training a a, a database on everything he's ever written and everything he's ever said, I thought, oh my God, what a goldmine for, Mm -hmm. you know, not, you know, journalists, creators, you know, being able to almost replicate yourself with modern technology. I did not think that we would ever see the day. And now we're we're entering into waters where it's a lot more questions that need to be asked and a lot more checks and balances. I just don't know who's going to be actually doing the checks and balances because if it's any signal from what our government understands, they, they don't even know how Wi-Fi works. They don't know how Facebook works. And so I imagine that they have zero clue on how any of this AI technology Yeah, works. I mean, I, I definitely, like, see the benefit of how it can work. I'm just fearful of, like, the, for sure. you know, the, the negatives to it. But yes, I mean, I was a one-person marketing team for many years. And um, I even, I mean, I pretty much, we are evolving and growing at TMSA, but I always laugh that I feel like I'm at, like, the oldest startup company of the, <laughs> of the world. Because, like, we are... <laughs> You know, we're evolving and COVID hit us very hard as an organization and, and, you know, just trying to move everything forward. I'm still trying to do the work of like seven people at once. And so there's a lot of capabilities. Like we do have HubSpot and HubSpot's coming out with their own set of tools and like how can we Oh, ChatSpot is incredible. Yeah. And so how can we utilize that to make us move faster? I think there's a, a, a great opportunity there. But yeah, it does make me worried because there there's a lot of implications that aren't, you know, being really thought about or talked about intellectually. And when when will that end? I don't know. Um, and the outputs, you don't exactly, unless you are experienced in fact checking, you don't know that the outputs are are correct or not. And I, speaking of which, I I, I kind of wanted to to switch to this final topic because it, it's kind of a, a fun segment that I've been doing, and you know the the last sort of handful of interviews, and I, I call it ChatGPT Factor Foe, and I ask ChatGPT to write or give me five facts about the person that I'm talking to oh. to see how accurate the system can be. Um, we've had very mixed results on if it's uh, correct or not. There have been, um, we've done five of them total and three of them, two of them have been highly accurate. And one of them is about, you know, mid-tier level accurate. And then the other two were about 95% incorrect. So including, um, it had a conversation with Ann Rinke. She is the, uh, the, the CEO over at uh, TIA, Transportation Intermediaries Association. She is one of the people that they got, you know, 95% wrong. And I thought, wow, this is somebody with a very yeah. high profile. And like in She's, the industry for an incredibly yeah, long time. She, yeah. she has been, a, and it got, it called her a yoga instructor. Um, so it was, uh, it, it was definitely an eye opening, you know, experience for that. But I thought, you know, if, if you will, let, let me let me play a little game. Sure. Um, Let's see what it see. thinks about me. <laughs> so we have five facts, you, and I'm going to read them off one by one. You tell me if it's right or if it's wrong. Okay. Um, so so number one, Jennifer Carpus Romain has over 25 years of experience in the transportation and logistics industry with a focus on sales, marketing, and communications. Incorrect. I am 36 years old. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what is the math there? You are, you are four years old. No, that, so that is terrible math. So, th- so like 11. So I would have been 11. Really getting in deep. <laughs> the logistics of a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say probably what it did is I would say the previous leader of TMSA has 25 years of industry experience. And so they probably oh. pulled his stuff. So fail on that one. Number two, prior to joining TMSA in 2016, I already know this one's wrong, um, Carpus Remain held various senior leadership roles at transportation companies such as YRC Worldwide and Conway, now XPO Logistics. Nope, that was not me. <laughs> Zero for two. Zero for Carpe- two. <laughs> Number three is Carpus Remain is a member of several professional associations, including the American Marketing Association, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, and Women in Trucking Association. Um, so, I mean, I have been a member of AMA. I don't think my membership is active. Um, I have like spoken at women in trucking. TMSA is a a member, like we're, you know, friends. So I would say like half, maybe. Okay. So they get a 0.5 for that one. Okay. (laughs) Number four in, in 2019, Carpus Romain was named one of the top women to watch in transportation by the Women in Trucking Association and was also recognized by the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association for her leadership and contributions to the industry. In 2019? Yeah, in 2019. So no, I was named a top person to watch in 2022 by Women in Trucking. And that would be weird if TM, I mean, I guess TMSA every time I win an award then has to publicly like congratulate me as their leader, but like. So maybe so, like a point two. So they're, yeah, they're sitting at like a point seven, chat GPT. <laughs> and then the last one, Carpus Remain is passionate about mentorship and has spoken at various industry events about the importance of mentoring and fostering diversity inclusion in the transportation industry. That is correct. Good job, okay. chat GPT. <laughs> so one, 1. 1.7 out of five. Yes. <laughs> and that is, I think that that is a, a perfect use case of the confidence of these systems to tell you an answer but you still have to fact check it. You still have to have the experience to go back through and say, mm, that sounds a little fishy. That doesn't sound too right. Um, because in this instance, that so now it's kind of like three for three, or not three for three, but three against three, where it's been pretty accurate versus just highly inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating as sort of a, a use case as I as I live check, you yeah. know, sort of a lot of these. I was really like lot of these. interested what it was going to pull out. Like if it, if it pulled out all like real f- top five facts about me, like what, what it would be, but it was wrong in most of the cases. Well, it does give me the, the caveat. What, what does it say? Um, as an AI language model, I do not have access to real time information and the ability to browse the internet. However, based on the information available up until my training cutoff of 2021, here are some possible facts about Jennifer Carpus. So it does give that disclaimer, but who's, I didn't even read that disclaimer. Right. I, just, it, but it's I just read the output. Because like all, so 2021, I, I mean, technically I became executive director at TMSA in November of 2021. But in theory, then like all of the information that it's pulling should be in my past career. It shouldn't even mm. be. I mean, I was a member of TMSA and I was active, but like it would have been everything else I did, not even TMSA related. Right. And you would think that they would have if it was in 2020, you were you were nominated to the or you, you were nominated to executive director, I think in 2020. It was I so I was executive director at the very end of 2021. Oh, okay. Okay. So 2021. So it still should have had, you know, that information. But that, I think that that's interesting. Nonetheless, that 
you know, it got, you know, yeah, our, like I, was, I was like rating. anticipating it, like telling me like some of the old companies I had worked for or um, like journalism awards I've won for, you know, like things like that, because that's all. I mean, I do have a very um, like public, not public name. Like I'm not I don't think I'm a celebrity, but if you Google me, a lot pops up because I was yeah. a journalist for I mean, I started my journalism career in like 2010 and I've been writing ever since. And then, you know, now as a leader of team, I say my name splattered everywhere, but like, so I knew that it would find things. It's not like I'm very hidden yeah. in the world. Like my name is out there for different, <laughs> but it only stuff. found one, thing. but it only found one thing. <laughs> and, um, so it's just interesting. Yeah. You know, like it's, what it's it definitely, yeah, uh, th- this has been fun to sort of experiment with um, with guests coming on the show, uh, talking about all of these different uh, just just the ways that people are thinking about AI, the ways that they're implementing it right now, or the ways that they're being cautious about it. And this is a perfect use case on. Yeah, it, it sounds cool to be able to you know get a bunch of these notes sort of spit out at you in you know five seconds, but. It's, it's you still have to fact check it. You still have to do a little bit of the work. So it and might like, speed up some parts of yeah, it. But. And like, that's like what you just did. Like, this is part of what's terrifying to me. Because like I said, if you're a, I don't want to say a bad journalist, because I feel like the people who are probably doing this probably mm-hmm. haven't done any type of real journalism training. But like, you are writing an article, you're like, oh, I want to write an article about this person. Let me put it in the JPT. And then they take all of that information and put it in the story. Well, the very little of that was true about me. So then right. it's on the internet. So people think it's true. So then, then what? Like that is scary to me. Right. Because it and moves I think that- wrong information fast. fast, fast. Yes. And that's going to definitely be something that, that we have to watch. And, and hopefully this is uh, just, I don't, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know what to be like <laughs> to, to say, like, hopefully about it. Like, hopefully it gets more accurate. But I think that you know, where AI currently is, especially with with outputs like this, I think it just sort of signals that you should be more experimenting with your own proprietary data, and then using it that way, instead of relying on it to just be the ultimate sort of, you know, just end all be all, and that's the answer. And that and that's that. So I I think that that's probably the takeaway, I think, for 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 this conversation, or this part of the conversation, um, especially when it comes to chat GPT, because you can't really trust all of it. But you can use it to help, you know, maybe speed up some aspects of of your work processes that you're already doing. But it kind of goes back to, you know, the earlier discussions that we were talking about, figure out your processes first and figure out where technology fits in there. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's going to be a bad time, you're going (laughs) to, you're going to have all these, you know, incorrect facts that that are out on the marketplace. And then that could take you even longer than if you just started on your own. So 100%. All right, Jennifer, or Jen, I want Jennifer. It feels weird calling you Jennifer. Jen. You call me everyone. Just don't call me Jenny. Put that in the official notes. Only my grandma gets away with that because she's my grandma. Well, hopefully ChatGPT will learn that soon. Oh my God. But, but right now they are like, foe. Jenny Carpus from Man be like, we are never going to be ChatGPT. <laughs> We're done here. Yeah. All right, Jen, what can, um, is there anything else that, you know, I know we've been talking for a while now and I know you're, you're kind of feeling under the weather, so I'll, I'll let you go with these last couple questions, but is there anything else about the TMSA, anything that's upcoming that you think is important to mention that we haven't already talked about? So, I mean, definitely we talked about it, but our Elevate conference is June 11th through 13th. You can get information on that at events.tmsatoday.org. 
And then in October, we'll have our executive summit that's going to be October 11th through 12th in Chicago. Um, we do have a save the date page up for that registration. will hopefully open by the end of this month. That's my goal. Um, and then we do have a couple local networking events that we'll put out later in the year as well. Um, we always have great webinars. You can find those at our website, tmsatoday.org. Um, I'll be at TIA conference. So at the, um, in a couple of weeks, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but if, if it's before that, it's, um, April 19th through 22nd. Um, and we are always looking for new members to come in, to network, to engage. If there's something particular that you would want from an organization like this, I'm always just a phone call away. I really do love talking to members and um, yeah, next year we'll be celebrating our 100 year anniversary. I do very believe strongly in a membership driven organization. So I have had a survey link out to our membership to see where we should go for the 2024 show. And that will be announced at the 2023 Elevate show. So stay tuned. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I love those webinar trainings because, you know, as, you know, a one person team, it can be really difficult to get that industry specific training. You can go out on the web and get, you know, any kind of, you know, marketing training that you want, but it's not industry specific. Mm-hmm. I actually just signed up for the upcoming and I, I, I this will probably happen before the, the, the show is posted. Um, but it, negotiating sales tactics. So there, there's a lot of, if you're a marketer and you're not necessarily strong on the sales side, or if you're on the sales side and you're not necessarily strong on the marketing side, there, there's there's content to fill um, fill your cup up if, if you are willing to become a member and engage in the conversation. Yeah. So, so That's Jen, what I was going to say with that too. Sorry to cut you off, but oh, go even ahead. if this, you can leave that in, even if this goes live after that, because as a member, you have access into our member resources portal that oh, has yeah, yeah. all of the recordings of all of our past webinars since like 2017. You really want to dive into COVID <laughs> stuff from 2020, <laughs> knock yourself out. Um, but it's all that kind of stuff. Some of it is still relevant for today, or you can see kind of like where you were a couple years ago to now. We have award submissions, we have conference presentations, we have that metric study that we talked about earlier. All of that stuff lives in our member portal for our members. So um, becoming a member gives you access to all that. So even if you can't attend a live webinar, which we do offer for everybody, but you then get the recordings as a member. Heck yeah. What a great point because I, I, I forgot to mention that. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I think we, we, we've, this is officially, I think the longest podcast that I've done so far and everything is logistics <laughs> history. <laughs> In our, our four I don't months know if on this earth, good or bad for you, but it was a lot. No, to I think it's out. great. <laughs> Heck yeah. And I probably could have, there are a couple topics we definitely could have gone, you know, a little bit further on. But for the sake of, you know, respecting everyone's time, we will go ahead and leave y'all to it. Go to tmsatoday.org in order to become a TMSA member and check out all the good content that the crew is creating over there. Jen, thank you so much. Thanks, boy. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast for the thinkers in freight, telling the stories behind how your favorite stuff and people get from point A to B. If you liked this episode, do me a favor and sign up for our newsletter. I know what you're probably thinking, oh God, another newsletter. But it's the easiest way to stay updated when new episodes are released, plus 
we drop a lot of gems in that email to help the one-person marketing team and folks like yourself who are probably wearing a lot of hats at work in order to help you navigate this digital world a little bit easier. You can find that email sign-up link along with our socials and past episodes over at everythingislogistics.com. And until next time, I'm Blythe and go Jags. Go Jags.